I'm Kate Daniels. Great books for middle schoolers are so critical for their education and development. They're also good reading for all ages. Robert Beattie has established himself as a number one New York Times bestselling author and even has his books optioned for movies. But Robert also had some previous successful careers. So let's meet Robert to discuss his turn to writing and where he finds his inspiration. Robert Beatty, good morning. It's so great to have you join us this morning. Good morning. Glad to be here. And I am just thrilled that we have an opportunity to have a a great conversation about your newest book, Willa of Dark Hollow. So it's um, book number two, and we'll see if, uh, as we progress along, whether we're going to have more Willas, uh, Willa books or along this theme. But um, it's book number two. We've gotten to know Willa, who is an incredible character. Um, So what was the inspiration for her? Well, Willa is uh, 12 or 13 years old, and she's the last of an ancient race of indigenous people who lived deep in the forest of the Great Smoky Mountains um, in 1901. So the inspiration was that I just I lived nearby, I lived near the Great Smoky Mountains, and I, my daughters and I go into the forest in the mountains, and uh, I just wanted to write a story for my daughters that they could relate to and learn from. And so I wanted to write a story about kind of a strange and unusual girl who has a heroic heart and wants to do good, but she encounters many challenges and difficulties, and she's got a fight for what she believes is right. So was, my main inspiration was just to write a story for my my daughters. And uh, Willa is actually, Willa of Darkello can be read on its own. It's a standalone story. So even if you haven't read any of my previous books, you can just read Willa of Darkello uh, from the beginning. And I'm glad that you're saying that, Robert, because I have not read the other books, uh, the Serafina series. I've not read book one, but I found that I could easily drop into this book. And uh, so it's for young readers, but here as a more mature and older reader, I, I love it. It's it's so gripping. Uh, the storyline is just uh, so relevant to us at any time. You're, you're saying it was uh, said in 1901, but it, it's, it speaks very loudly and clearly to today, doesn't it? It does, and thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. So when I write a book, although it's for someone, you know, a young audience, 8 to 14, I don't change any of my language. I don't dumb it down in any way. I don't even think necessarily about, oh, this is only for children. I use my full vocabulary, and the scenes are very intense and quite spooky in some cases. And so what I find is that my most typical readers are a grandmother and her granddaughter, or a mother and her young daughter, or a mother and a son. And I find that there's many adult readers reading it, and I I enjoy that element of it. One of the other things I find is that I'll encounter many young readers who this is one of the first books they've read on their own where it has really transported them into a new world. 
uh, all through their own imagination. And I really like that. But I've also encountered many adults who have said, you know, I'm not, I'm, I don't read a lot of novels. I, I, you know, I just don't read any books. I'm 65 years old, but I picked up my, this book that I bought for my granddaughter and I just fell in love with it. So I, I really like that element of it too. Uh, in terms of the relevance, uh, yeah, so the story is, in the story, Willa is being taught by her grandmother all her life to love and truly understand the forest and all the animals in it. And But then loggers start coming into the forest and start cutting down the trees, and Willa must decide how she deals with this. How can she handle, she's just this little girl, so... How can she cope with something so massively large, such a huge problem in the world? How can she deal with that? And so she has to decide whether to use her special powers to fight for the people and the animals that she loves. So it's kind of a, his a mixture of real-life uh, history mixed with mystery thriller and magical fantasy, kind of all blended together. And thinking about young readers, they really like the, the thrilling and the mystery, don't they? Right, yeah. So when, when I first wrote it, I, I thought it was kind of interesting because I thought, all right, so I have a lot of mystery and fantasy and action in here. And I think, well, I know that my daughters would like that because I was writing it for them. But I didn't think necessarily that teachers and librarians and people like that would would really go for the the mystery and the magic elements. And I remember I was speaking in front of a large group of teachers, and when I said that, they just all laughed. And I said, what are you guys laughing about? And they said, well, they wouldn't read it if, if those things weren't in there. So it's that mixture of history and real life combined with the magic and the fantasy that really makes it compelling for the young reader. So today the, the Willa books, are being read in over a thousand classrooms uh, nationwide. So they're being taught as a novel in a thousand, over a thousand classes. And I think that that's incredibly exciting. And well, you said you kind of laughed, or the teachers laughed when you said that you weren't sure that it would be that appealing. But it it must feel really uh, wonderful, or really um, such a gift to you to know that you're reaching so many young lives and inspiring them and, and really challenging them or encouraging them to read. Yeah, it is really wonderful. When I have events and I meet thousands of, of young readers and they come up to me and they tell me about it and they tell me which books they've, which, which of my books they've read and, and how brave they were for getting through certain spooky scenes and action scenes and how they cried at this point or that point. And yeah, it's really exciting. I totally love it. And kids are, they're very, very honest and they just, they just tell you everything they're feeling and everything they're thinking. And it's, it's wonderful to have them as the audience. And you pro do you get feedback then as to how to maybe uh, direct what you write next? Oh yes, for sure. So the I've always been the kind of writer who is carefully listening to my readers and learning from that. Nobody can tell you how to write a sentence or come up with a plot, but a writer can 
listen to what people are saying and what their experience is, and you can hear the parts that don't work so well, and you can hear the parts that do work very well, and you can hear what people really enjoy and what they don't find that enjoyable. And so I've my whole life, that's how I've taught myself how to write a story, by listening to the people who are reading it. So I started writing at a very young age, and I was not very good at all when I began and had no natural-born talent whatsoever. Um, so it took me many years of writing and listening to really develop uh, any skills for telling a good story. And so I love listening. I'll be at book signings, and I'll, I'll, if somebody says, I love your book, the first thing I say, oh, great, why? What is it that you love? <laughs> and I, I actually want to hear the answer because it's very important to me. Oh, I can appreciate that. It's also great to hear that you've been writing f- since a young age because that's encouraging to, to the kids themselves who might think they have a story to tell, to know that it'll take time. It took you time, and, and now it seems like you're this great success and you are successful, but it's taken time. Oh, for sure. In fact, one of the themes of all the books I write is something I call stay bold. And so the the phrase stay bold actually came up in the Serafina novels originally, but it, it also applies to the Willa books as well. And the concept of stay bold is that these two young female characters, Willa and Serafina, encounter tremendous challenges and dangers and and life-threatening experiences and just things that seem impossible to deal with. And so they have to stay bold, meaning they have to keep their courage. They have to figure out what they want to do and how to do it and then go out and do it and stay strong, stay bold. And so that theme actually comes from when I started writing. I was 11 years old, and I started writing my first novel at that age, got done with it, I, I was hoping it would be awesome, but it wasn't. It wasn't very good at all. The only person I could get to read it was my mom, and she gave me some tips on it and how to improve it, and I said, okay, I can do better. I can do better than this. And so I wrote another one, and then I wrote another one, and I just kept improving, and, and I would increase the number of people that I could convince to read it, and soon I had dozens and then hundreds of people reading my books. And I would listen very carefully. I would even interview them and ask them about this scene and that scene and learn how to tell a better story. And so taught myself how to write over the course of many years. So it, And I wrote literally for decades on my own before I was able to write a book that was good enough to be noticed by an agent and then published by Disney. So, it, and the way that happened is I was writing books for adults. I was a, a middle-aged adult writing novels. I'd been writing novels all my life, but none of them had been published. And my young daughter, who was about eight or nine at the time, kept saying, Dad, can I read what you're writing? And I kept saying, no, um, it's, it's for adults. It's not appropriate for kids. And then she'd come back a few months later and say, can I read what you're writing now? And I would say no. And then eventually I I got a clue and said, okay, I'm going to try writing a story for my daughter, Camille. Uh, I'll just try it for one day and see how it feels. 
And as soon as I started writing it, just the moment I started writing that story for my daughter, I thought, this is what I was meant to do. And so at that point, I dropped the book I was writing and started writing specifically for Camille and her sisters. And that became the first book that I ever got published. Oh, that just is so emotional. Yeah. It's and it's beautiful. I feel it just adds that much more to these books that you're now writing. Yep. So it was just a sort of a not an accident exactly, but just so cool that I had been writing and practicing my skills all these years, practicing my craft. And by the, when I got to the point where my daughters were the same age that I was when I started writing. But at this point, I had 20 or 30 years of practice writing stories, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was able to write a story that they uh, greatly enjoyed. And then in turn, many other people enjoyed as well. And one of the other things I did was to, you know, to get them to help me to write it, to say, okay, Camille, how did you like that chapter? And so we would talk about it, and she would tell me what she liked and what she didn't like. And remember, that's how I had been teaching myself how to write all along. So soon I had a little built-in focus group with my wife and my three daughters, and we would all work on the story together and improve it and refine it. So, for example, my first book that got published was Serafina and the Black Cloak, and uh, I wrote the rough draft in about a month, but I spent 11 months uh, refining it and improving the story. So that's the one of the other things I teach young writers is that, you know, a lot of kids think that whatever they write is somehow sacred, that it came out of their brain and fell onto the page, and that's the story. That's it. It's done. But that's not really how it works for any writers. Um, you write a rough draft, and then you revise, and you rewrite, and you improve, and you fine-tune that story until you think it's just as as best as it can possibly be. And so it is quite a family affair to to write these books. Do you find that your daughters are—well, not find. Are your daughters actually doing some writing on their own? Oh, for sure. They're all good writers. Uh, we all, we do a lot of different things together, So, and they're growing up. Uh, it's funny because we did a number of video book trailers to, that we put on YouTube to show what the books look like, and we put them on our YouTube channel. And my daughter, Genevieve, my middle daughter, plays the role of Serafina, one of the characters, in the book trailer, and she was 12 when we shot the video. And then when the next book came out, she was 13. And when the next book came out, she was 14 and so on. And I told her, Genevieve, you've got to stop growing up. This is, this is going to get out of hand. You're going to grow out of this role. But uh, she, was, she was very uh, disobedient, and she just kept growing up, unfortunately. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, so they, my two older daughters have now grown up and – uh, one has gone into engineering school and the other has gone into art school. And uh, But my youngest daughter, who's nine now, uh, is very much a storyteller. They're all good writers, but she's especially a good writer and a good animator. So uh, it's a very creative household, and we've just always created stories together. 
it it sounds incredible and and just so vibrant mentioning the videos we should mention that well you said on youtube but also your website has the trailers there along with just oodles of other information so let's mention the website yeah so that's robertbeattybooks.com so robertbeattybooks.com and it's b e a t t y and yeah, if you go to the website or YouTube or Facebook, all com, and you can see the book trailers for Serafina, and you can see a lot of good information about Willa of Dark Hollow as well. And Willa, I, I noticed that that too um, is going to potentially be a, a, a television series. That's right. So Willa of Dark Hollow, uh, which is the new book we're talking about today, and Willa of the Wood, its predecessor, uh, are being turned into a live-action television series to go on to Netflix or Disney Plus or Apple or something like that. Uh, We're actively uh, writing the script now and developing the concept art and pulling the team together, the producers and so on. I'm one of the executive producers on it. Uh, The main executive producer on it is actually Amy Adams, the famous actress and producer. So uh, a neat story on that. So Amy Adams, who I did not know at the time, but she uh, read Willa of the Wood and Willa of Dark Hollow out loud uh, to her daughter as her bedtime story every night. So her daughter was about 10 years old at the time. And they read Willa of the Wood, the first story, uh, out loud and just fell in love with it. And so uh, her daughter said, Mom, this is the movie you should make next. (laughs) And so Amy Adams went around, and it turned out that one of her colleagues at Entertainment One, which is a big TV studio, uh, had just acquired the rights for the Willa story and were looking for a production company. So... Um, E1 and Amy Adams and myself are now all working together to turn Willa into a new TV series. So it's very exciting. I just feel this real synchronicity going on where you you fell, if you will, into writing for young readers, and 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 this has all evolved, and now just the way that Amy then came across uh, the Willow book, Willow of the Wood, and was reading it, and it's just like, Mom, you should make this your movie. It's there's just this real wonderful kind of magic that's going on with it. Right. Yes. Yeah. So. One of the things about Willa that's, that people really enjoy is she's not, she's not exactly human. She's something called Farron, uh, which is an ancient race that lives in the forest. And uh, she's filled with all these forest powers. So, for example, her skin isn't one color. So she isn't white or black or brown. Her skin actually takes on the color of whatever environment she's in. So if she's hiding in the bushes, her skin takes on the color of green leaves. And if she's standing by the trunk of a tree, then her skin is brown and craggy. And so she always camouflages into whatever environment she's in. And that's how she hides from danger. And she speaks an ancient Farron language that's so old that all the animals of the forest understand it. And so her best friends are 
these are the wolves and the otters and the ravens and the bears and the other animals that live in the forest. So she does live with an adopted human family, uh, a homesteader and his Cherokee wife and their uh, children um, have adopted her, but she uh, herself is this the, a race called Farron with these magical forest powers. And about the language, Robert, how did you conceive this, or is it based on something? It's not based on anything. The way uh, my daughter Camille and I, who I told you about Camille, uh, we would go into the Smoky Mountains and just spend hours in the forest, perhaps sitting by a river or a waterfall. And when we were coming up with the the ideas and, and brainstorming the ideas for the story, we thought, okay, if we lived in this beautiful forest, what kind of creatures would we be? And so we decided that she would be this small, young person who had these magical forest powers. She was very peaceful. Uh, she was very connected to the forest. So she doesn't think of trees as inanimate objects. She, she thinks of individual trees as sentient beings with a spirit and a soul. And so uh, that's where we came up with the idea of this ancient language that she would speak. Now, this is a time period, turn of the century, about 1900 or 1901, when the, the Cherokee lived in the area as well. They still do live there. And so she would see Cherokee people, and they would also be living in harmony with the forest. But then these new people, what she calls the newcomers, would come in with their guns and their traps and their industrial logging equipment and their steam trains and Tooele. These were the murderers of trees, and that was the actual language that she would use. To her, these are murderers, and she would lay the, the carcasses of her friends uh, down onto the ground, and the carcasses of her friends are the trees that they have killed because, again, she thinks of every tree as being a almost sentient being. Uh, also, the mountain where she lives, it's what she calls the Great Mountain, uh, what we today call Klingman's Dome. It's the tallest mountain of the Great Smoky Mountains. And she thinks of it also as almost having a soul and, and feeding a life into the world around her. So she's a unusual person for sure. And it's all just so compelling. You, you've really laid out so much of um, what the foundation of the book for us that I, I dare say we can't help but go out and get our own copy and, and read uh, because it's, it's really just uh, such a, a great story. And, you know, as we mentioned earlier on, the relevancy of it, and uh, both in terms of our world, but in terms of, uh, of our youth and, and how to be empowered in it. Yeah, so one of the first seeds of an idea for the first Willow book was that I wanted to create a character, a young girl who was actually, who had a good heart and a good soul, but she had been born into a society that had actually been corrupted and turned evil. 
And so although her grandmother taught her the old ways of the forest and being connected to nature, and she loved her grandmother deeply, the leader of her clan, that's kind of like her tribe, was actually this larger-than-life, almost godlike leader who was very strong and powerful leader, and he actually hated and just detested all humans uh, outside the clan. And so he taught his tribe, his clan, and also Willa some very dangerous ideas and uh, really had a lot of prejudice and a lot of hate for everybody outside of their group. And that was the world that Willa was raised in other than her grandmother. And so as the story begins, Willa encounters a human and she's terrified of him, of course, because of what she's been taught by the leader of her, her clan. But then the human does something extremely unexpected in that he actually shows kindness to her. And in that moment, her brain begins to change because she says, wait a second, I've been taught that these humans are all evil, that they're the murderers of trees and the killers of animals and that none of them are any good in any way. And I have now seen that that's not true. So her mind really begins to change and she begins to realize that maybe it's not that all humans are evil or that all Farron are good. And she begins to see her leader for who he is and see his problems and begins to realize that her own society has a lot of problems as well. And so she has to decide to actually rebel and stand up against that leader and to stand up for what she thinks is right, a lot of which came from the teachings of her grandmother. And so her, she starts out as a very, for lack of a better word, a very prejudiced person, prejudiced against these people that she does not know. But then her eyes are open to that, and she rebels against that prejudice and begins to see the world in a much wider, more inclusive way. So, yeah, there's a lot of relevance, I think, to some of the things that are happening in the world today. Absolutely. And done in such a way that it's a story and we begin to see ourselves and how would we manage, we being the, the any of us reading the book, but certainly thinking of, of our youth and their formative years and, and what they see on the horizon for themselves. So, Robert Beatty, you are just so incredible. Your your whole story, your life story, your family is just so incredible. I think it just adds that much more substance to all that you write. And again, we'll encourage anyone and everyone listening, get a copy. What a great gift. And, you know, thinking of uh, these different times of learning, uh, continuing the reading and having conversations, uh, reading together, what a great way to do it, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to mention that you just did is that although we're talking about these sort of uh, themes and these larger ideas, in the end, it's it's a story. It's meant to, first and foremost, I wrote it to be a fun and engaging story where you just want to keep turning the pages. And so it's very much meant to be an action, adventure, mystery story that will keep uh, young readers involved through the whole thing. And yes, they will learn as they go and they'll experience 
Willa's world and her challenges, but mostly it's meant to be a fun, engaging story. Perfect. Well, again, Robert Beatty, you are just so amazing. Thank you so greatly for being with us and uh, opening up the book, all the books, to us. Well, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed talking with you. This is a Sunday morning shout out for WOW, Washington Outdoor Women, who has a mission that is, to teach traditional outdoor skills to women and girls, and by doing so, prepare and encourage them to become good stewards of our natural resources. This past year has put the brakes on these gatherings and experiences, so to fill a gap, WOW brings forward a new meaning to the acronym, Words of Wisdom. Words of Wisdom is a blog featuring WOW instructors and other women who will share their outdoor skills and nature-loving expertise. For example, a few of the first blogs are about raising chickens, keeping bees, and shellfish harvesting. Future blogs will be about nature writing, gardening for wildlife, hunting, foraging, and falconry. The blog will also include information to refresh outdoor skills as warm weather approaches. WOW's goal is to blend the theory in these blogs with the practice you may have begun at a WOW workshop or ventured out on your own to try. The hope is to help build up your base of knowledge for the days to come when we can all safely gather together again outdoors. New blogs will appear the first week of every month, so check the WOW website often. It's washingtonoutdoorwomen.org forward slash blog.